Chapter Four of Deadwood Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. Deadwood Dick's Doom or Calamity Jane's Last Adventure by Edward L. Wheeler. Chapter Four Deadwood Dick's Doom. It had taken less time to end the life of the ruffian than it has to relate the occurrence, for the bullet entering his heart he had expired almost as soon as he dropped. For a moment afterward you could have heard a pin drop in the great bar-room of the poker-house, so great was the intensity of the silence caused by the shooting. Then came words to the hearing of all, words in a strange, shrill voice, whose significance was plain to all within the room, except Virgie and Nick. Oh ho, death notch forty seven, and still the spirit of red hatchet calls for vengeance. Piute Dave shall count seventy, and Deadwood Dick five more. Ha ha! Then there was a strange, wild peal of laughter without the tavern that chilled the blood of every one who heard it, so fearfully suggestive of a demon's triumph it was. Not a man within the tavern made a move to discover the author of the laugh infernal and of Bulldog Ben's death. Even Piute Dave's swarthy visage assumed a grayish pallor as he heard the words of the Avenger, and he moved not from his tracks. Shakespeare, the poetical bullwhacker, was the coolest man in the house, and that among men who were habitually hard-hearted and possessed a sort of brute courage on such occasions. "'Pop goes their weasel, and there'll be another notch on the council pole,' he observed, dragging the body of Bulldog Ben upon his shoulder, dumping it in an obscure corner of the room. "'Bulldog's gone on his last long canine circuit, and I allow I'll have to compose a doggerel on his keflamix, or an epidemic for his tombstone. How'd this be, for instance? Poor Bulldog Ben, he barked, and then he jumped the bar accordin'. There was a shot, Ben took the pot, and anteed over Jordan.' But the poet did not get an encore on this effusion, inasmuch as his auditors were in no humor for anything but strong prose. "'Enough of this nonsense,' Piute Dave said, striding forward. "'Don't you see that you are all offering yourselves as targets for this secret avenger, whomever he may be? I'll take charge of the girl myself, and ye can do as ye want with the nigger. Come, young woman, there's room for such a purty one as you in my cabin.' and you're mine. Oh, no, no, I cannot, will not go with you, Virgie cried, clinging to Dick, in tears and despair. Please let us alone, sir. We are two strangers to all of you, and all we ask is to leave this place unmolested. Can't help that girl. Piute Dave don't often take a second look at a gal, but when he does, he invariably has her if he wants her. So you might as well tumble down from that bar and waltz along with me at once for I allow I'm boss of this town, and things has allus got to go to suit my notion. But jes you look a year now, sir, cried Nicodemus, drawing himself to full height and striking a dramatic pose with uplifted arm. You surely forget the culminating fact that this yar lady am my protege, and I's sweared by the plants and the heavens to protect her with the last drop of my royal blood. Yes, sir. Dem's mighty truth, sir. And if you lay a thumb on this young lady's person, 
I'll draw de razor from my bootleg and cut you wide open. Yas, I will, for sure. Oh, I's bad when I's shampooed. I's a wadin' butcher barber, sir. Ho, ho, Paiute Dave laughed hoarsely. If it wasn't for Fresco and Poker Jack's flow with your black gore, I'd blow your brains out, you black cuss. Come, girl. How you going to somersault down from that bar, or shall I come up and help ye? Oh, spare me, spare me, sir. Oh, my God, is there no one here to help me? The poor girl sobbed. Nary a derned galoot, my gal, Paiute Dave declared, with a triumphant chuckle. As I loud before, I'm boss of this burg, and there's not a man higher as dust lift a hand to help ye when I'm around. You lie, you brute, and if you but lay a hand on that girl, I'll bore a hole in your thick skull, a voice suddenly cried. The owner of the voice was Deadwood Dick. While Paiute Dave was speaking, he had quietly slipped into the room, and now stood mounted upon a chair, but a few paces in the former's rear, with a pair of cocked thirty-twos in his grasp. Paiute Dave wheeled with a frightful oath, as he heard the words with his hands upon the butts of his own revolvers, but he desisted from drawing them when he saw that his new opponent had the drop. "'Who are you?' he demanded savagely. "'And what do you mean by meddling in my business?' I mean that if you offer that girl the least molestation, I'll make you up into a perforated porous plaster quicker than a Dutchman can say beer. The support of Dick announced, with the utmost assurance and sang-froid. As to my dramatis personae, you may recognize me by the gentle and psalm-like title of Richard Harris, or Edward Harris, or Deadwood Dick, or any other name you like. Deadwood Dick be in my particular appurtenance, when I'm wanted by the sheriff, and so forth and so forth. "'You, Deadwood Dick!' Paiute Dave exclaimed in surprise. And he was not the only one to whom the noted title was apparently familiar. "'Yes, I am Deadwood Dick, the celebrated cuss from Custer Clime, the diabolical devil-may-care devotee of road agency, from Deadwood.' the hunted Hurricane Harris, just as you see me, and according to a recent act of Congress, if you or any other two-legged individual attempts to harm yonder girl, whoever she may be, I'll agree to furnish him with a free pass over Jordan by the most direct ethereal line. I mean business, so let some pilgrim of enterprise and disposition open the market. Young lady, you may descend from the bar, and go to your room or home.' I'll agree to take care of any number of these cusses who may attempt to prevent you. "'Go at your peril, girl,' Paiute Dave growled in a rage, watching a chance to draw a weapon. "'Curses on you, boys. Why don't you pull your tools and kill this devil's donkey?' "'Reckon we know our biz, boys,' the bullwhacker Shakespeare declared knowingly. "'We allow our pelt is worth just as much per C.W.T. as youn.' and we ain't in no ways disposed to venture a cruise in unknown regions, just on account of one gal, as Brother Byron us to say. Hang on to terra firmer, though encumbered bad with tax. It's cool and very comfortable as compared with Halifax, and though besieged at every turn with mother-in-laws and maids, 
you'll find it enough sight better than a good warm berth in Hades. Your cowardly dogs, every one of you, will you let one man bluff ye when there's forty of ye to his one? Look, the girl is going to escape. A hundred dollars to the man who stops her. I'll take it, a ruffian shouted and leaped toward the bar, from which Virgie was about descending to stop her. And you'll get it, Dick cried as he fired, then instantly returned the aim of his weapon to the crowd. With scarcely a groan the ruffian fell headlong to the floor, not dead, as was afterward proven, but stunned by the bullet grazing his skull. A murmur of protest ran through the crowd, but not another was raised in opposition to the Dakotan's will. Paiute Dave alone uttered a fearful oath. "'You see, I hold the spotter that trumps at every flop,' Harris remarked. "'When I pair a grenade into a town, I always try to impress upon the minds of the citizens, first of all, the fact that I am able to clean out the whole town, single-handedly, and able to stand up in defense of the weak and unprotected every day in a week, and as many times on Sundays as the hymn-book orders. There, the young lady has gone. Now, gents, what's the damage? I'm willing to settle. One tough laid out, and a broken window-glass, besides a ruffle upon the personal pride of our friend here, Paiute David. What's the expense, David?' "'Your life!' the captain cried, his rage in no wise diminished. "'I'll cut your heart out!' "'Oh, now, really, David, you would not rehearse the tragedy of David and Goliath, would you? "'You wouldn't amputate my pulsometer, would you, just to satisfy your revengeful spirit?' "'Yes, curse you, but give me advantage of the drop you got, "'and I'll show you what kind of a man Pyute Dave is.' Indeed, I am to infer, then, that you are something like a concentrated volcano, done up in a dynamite torpedo, and when you're touched off you scatter death and destruction in the forty directions of a blizzard. I had no idea you were so ferocious, or I should have fainted hours ago. Tell you what I'll do, though, David. If your thermometer indicates that your steam has attained such momentum that there is danger of your exploding— I'll give you a chance to work off a little of your superfluous wrath. You appear to be a pretty muscular chap, and I flatter myself I have sufficient for usual cases of emergency. Therefore, we will clear the centre of room. You take a position at one end, I at the other. Then we will each start for each other, weaponless, and have a rough-and-tumble scuffle for the mastery. The winner to take the position as boss of the town, the loser to be given one hour to leave it, never to return, except under penalty of death by shooting at sight. Now then, how does that strike you? I'll accept the proposition, Paiute Dave said with a horrid laugh. It won't take me long to break your neck. Well, for your sake I hope not, Dick retorted with a smile. First, however— I want to know that there will be no interference from the crowd. I'll tend to that, young feller, Shakespeare declared. I'll see that everything goes square. I have a plan as fair for one as for the other, Paiute Dave said, a villainous glitter in his evil eyes. A few rods up in the gulch is a bottomless bed of quicksand. The weight of a man will sink him there in five minutes, forever out of sight. 
and nothing he can do can help him when once he is in it. It has gulped down many a dead body and some live ones, too, so it's just the hole for a death struggle. I propose that we go to the edge of this treacherous pocket, and the man who is strong enough to throw his opponent into it shall be the victor, while the victim shall be left to sink in the sand to his death. That suits me exactly, Deadwood Dick responded. As soon as the man is thrown into the pocket, the spectator shall march away, chanting his death requiem. Is this perfectly understood? I understand. I allow their boys does. Paiute Dave grunted. Of course we do, declared the loquacious bullwhacker poet. Just as soon as one or t'other years kerflopped into that death's hole, we're to start pell-mell for the poker-house and moisten our bugles, preparatory to singin' the death march of Solomon. Correct. Let's adjourn to the field of action, Deadwood Dick said. I came here expectin' to run into difficulty, and I'm no the chap to turn tail and back out because of a slight unpleasantness. By the way, if any of you fellows knows anything favorable of this big loafer, I'd suggest that now will be a good time to recall them, before we plant him. After he is dead and gone, you'll not care to remember him. Paiute Dave made a move to draw a weapon, but saw that Deadwood's dauntless representative was still on guard, and so desisted. "'Come, no funny business now,' Dick ordered. "'But lead the way if you want to furnish me a sepulchre of quicksand. I'm anxious to know who is going to draw the prize in this lottery.' Paiute Dave led the way from the tavern. Deadwood Dick went next. Then the bullwhacker poet and his uncouth associates brought up the rear, in single file. A strange-looking procession they made as they marched down the street, under the light of a soaring full moon. Virgie Verner saw them from the window of her room, and wondered what was going to happen. "'They are going to hang the brave fellow who came to my rescue!' she gasped in horror. "'God forbid!' Down the street to the western terminus of the town, Paiute Dave piloted the way, and soon they came to a dark-looking, verdureless spot that every experienced eye knew to be a quicksand pocket that it was sure an inevitable death to touch. This was the place of struggle. Deadwood Dick threw off his jacket to one side and deposited his weapon upon it. Paiute Dave gave his revolvers to the bullwhacker, but did not remove his coat, evidently not deeming it necessary. The two men then walked ten paces in opposite directions, turned, and at the word go, given by one of the bystanders, rushed to meet each other. It was not until they were within arm's reach that Deadwood Dick discovered that the ruffian had a small dagger in his grasp. Too late. They clinched and struggled, and the blade entered Dick's left arm, rendering it perfectly powerless. With the advantage thus gained, it was quick work for Paiute Dave to raise his adversary and hurl him forward into the mire of the bottomless bed of quicksand. Then, with victorious shouts, the rough crowd strode away, and Deadwood Dick sunk gradually into the yielding sand to his horrible doom. End of chapter 4